Hello there, friend. Welcome to the Articulate Podcast, where we break down NFTs. My name is Michael. And I'm Monica. And today we're going to be talking about a whole bunch of really interesting topics, things like Elon Musk possibly buying Twitter, how NFT owners are making their investments liquid, and a whole lot more. But before we get into it, we want to let you know that this podcast is brought to you by LiveArtX, the premier NFT fine art marketplace. You can actually check out our membership NFTs, which are available over on OpenSea. If you um, go on our website at liveart.xyz, you'll be able to see a link that'll bring you to the proper page. And I do encourage you to go that route only because there are a lot of impersonators and scam accounts trying to make money. So you just be careful which one you're buying from. You know, Make sure you get the official link from us because I would hate for someone to get scammed because there have been like a few. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then once you do that, you'll have access to exclusive NFT drops, uh, really cool events, deals on physical fine art that you just can't get anywhere else. So there's a whole lot of really cool benefits that you get as a member. And yeah, you know, check it out. Yeah, you guys can also join our Discord and follow us on Twitter from there as well. We'd love to have you guys join our community. Awesome. So Monica, do you actually want to talk about Elon Musk possibly buying Twitter? So as most of you probably know, Elon Musk is now the largest stakeholder in Twitter. And basically, he had to kind of buy that stake in the company in order to make this move. So now we're seeing that he is attempting to outright buy Twitter at $54 a share. And not everyone's happy about it. Um, It was reported that one of the shareholders in Saudi Arabia rejected his bid. And we're just kind of starting to see a lot more news coming out about the results of this. Some people are even calling it a hostile takeover. So lots of interesting things happening there. Yeah, this is one of those stories that I've been seeing so much of, but I I think what it really does is it kind of shows how much power you can have concentrated in a few, or in a lot of cases, just a single human being, right? I mean, the whole idea that we can have a social media site that millions and millions of people use to communicate every single day, we can have something like that for sale. And then like all of a sudden they can change it however they want. That is a lot of power. Now, like it doesn't really matter whether or not you like or dislike Elon Musk. That's that's not the important part here. But just the fact that any one person can have that kind of power and influence over everyone. I mean, that it's personally, I find it a little scary. And it kind of brings us to this whole idea behind Web3 as a whole, right? How are we going to protect users from malicious attacks by people that, you know, outright buy these social media companies or these platforms. Cause you know, there's nothing stopping a bad person from doing this with other companies, you know, whether or not, however you feel about Elon Musk, it, it just comes down to, can we trust real human beings to have this kind of influence and do the right thing? Personally, I, I don't think so. And that's kind of why I got into web three, but I would love to hear your take on it, Monica. 
Yeah, I think it's interesting. I mean, he did kind of hint to the idea of like what what is going on with Twitter. I'm not sure if you remember. This was like not the, maybe a week ago where he did that poll on Twitter where he was like, you know, should things change or something like that? Like he did a poll. It was specific to Twitter. And then it was only within a few days that he went and he became like the largest stakeholder. And now this. So he's he's moving really fast. I do think one of the things that he's talked about is free speech. Uh, you know, it's been something that he's kind of commented on. So I don't really know. Um, I think it's interesting. Now, as far as crypto is concerned and Web3, I actually, I think it could be... Um, you know, for crypto anyways, the crypto community, a step in the right direction. I mean, he was like one of the first people to say he was willing to accept Bitcoin for Tesla. And, you know, he has talked about Doge in the past. I did see another, I think he was a developer talking about how, you know, Twitter hasn't really had any like major milestones for a really long time. And it's about time that Twitter sort of put something out there. So it's really interesting to see what is happening in this space, period. Twitter is the largest Web3 platform out there at the moment. You know, like Instagram, we might have some NFT artists, but it's it's just not equivalent to like Twitter. Twitter is definitely the largest. Um, I still have to kind of go in there and check out how the Web3 community is really responding, but I think this is one of those things where I think it's super interesting and I'm just kind of watching everything as it unfolds. Yeah. You know, and there's so much speculation as to like what could happen. I mean, the truth is nobody really knows. Right. I mean, you know, with, with something as big as Twitter, I mean, there are just so many hours and thousands of hours of, of engineering work that goes into making a platform like that work and keeping it running. And, you know, I remember, I'm, I'm sure this applies to Twitter as well, but there was a, a Google engineer or someone that worked on YouTube or Google, one of those. And they said that there's no single person that truly understands how the algorithm works because there are just so many things that come into play. I mean, so many variables, like even the people on the ground doing it they don't quite get all of it. Like they might understand a piece of it, but, you know, running, running these things is, is very difficult. And the fact that, you know, and this is, this kind of brings me back to crypto because at least in crypto, things are open source, decentralized, and really people can just plug in and help where they can, where they see fit. And I think that's, that's really been one of the reasons that so many crypto projects are as successful as they are because like anyone can just pop, you know, plop on in and say, oh, hey, I can make a great contribution here. And like, you know, no one told me to do this. No one paid me to do this. Like I just wanted to help. So, you know, hopefully we can see Twitter move. You know, if Elon Musk does this and he goes through with this and everything happens, I would like to see him move Twitter in that direction. I can't imagine he really would, but I mean, we can be hopeful about it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, as you mentioned, if, if he does, if this actually happens, which there are some signs that say it's not, it's not going to happen. And then there's other signs that perhaps, who knows, we'll see. Um, and like you said, there's no way to really call anything on this. We just 
watch. Um, I do agree with your point on how anyone can just contribute and make it better. I, and you're right. Like that's why web three has been so successful. That's why like the various blockchains have been successful and um, you know, all these great projects coming out that really have the users in mind. So maybe that is something that if he does end up taking over, I mean, maybe that's something that he would implement, you know, and, and actually do differently, which would be really cool for developers in Web3. Yeah, which would be a nice change of pace from how other big tech companies are uh, moving forward, because now we can talk about what Meta is doing. And if you don't know what Meta is, well, it's basically Facebook because they rebranded to that because, you know, Zuckerberg wants to like wants people to think he's cool. But they've come under fire recently because they're building this metaverse where people are going to put on VR headsets and walk around as like an emoji. And when you as a developer make something that is going to be some kind, you know, it's going to be bought and sold on this uh, marketplace, you know, whether it's an NFT, whether it's some kind of piece of software that you build on top of it, Meta is going to take a 50% cut of that. You know, technically like a 47.5%, but the, yeah, so it's going to be basically half of any of the money that you make on the MetaQuest store. All of the, half of that goes to Zuck. So, and, and it's really funny because Zuckerberg has actually criticized Apple for taking 30% of the cut on the, on the Apple App Store. So just to see, you know, oh, you know, do as I say, not as I do, right? Uh, it's different when I do it, man. Listen, I, it's the metaverse. You know, I got to take 50%. It costs a lot of money build, to build this. Uh, it's interesting to see how that goes. Um, and I think in a lot of ways, it just completely goes against the whole philosophy of the movement. Yeah, I, I agree, Michael. I think it's really crazy. He's kind of shooting himself in the foot, I think. Um, not only that, what it sparks is opportunities for others. So like, you know, it's ridiculous to expect someone to give you half their profits and then they have to pay taxes. So like they're really left with like 20%, <laughs> you know, of what's made on that. If they're lucky. Yeah, yeah. If they're lucky. Exactly. Um However, that being said, to the flip side, it opens up new opportunities for other people who won't do that. So I am sure that there are tons of other companies now that are like, let's get on this. Like, let's create our own metaverse. We won't take that kind of a share cut. You know, like, we'll let the creators keep most of the profit, whatever. Um, I don't know. Isn't Facebook just seems so dead to me at this point. Like, I know that it's people- still profitable though. Yeah, and I know that people still use it. I just, I don't know. I, I'm not really sure what's going to happen with that. We did see a huge drop in the um, share price though, very recently. What was that, like a month or two ago? Oh, I don't even know. Yeah, like they shared their, their earnings and it was way less- than what they had projected and it tanked in one day one day it tanked i can't remember the the numbers anymore 200 billion i mean it was something ridiculous almost sounded like a an exploit like a crypto exploit that's how large the numbers were 
But yeah, it's kind of funny because you mentioned Apple and like Zuck criticizing Apple. Well, that kind of segues into Apple. It just announced um, that they are going to release a new feature for the iPhone to be able to transact with crypto. And it's supposed to launch somewhere like at the end of 2020. Um, I'm not sure, Michael, maybe you've heard. I'm not sure which cryptocurrencies will be on there, but I think it's awesome that they're even like going to be doing this. I really would love to see as many cryptocurrencies being used as as many as possible before CBDC comes out. Like I'm just going to say that. Like before the government launches its own cryptocurrency, let's try to get as many out there as possible people using them like everyday transactions. Um, I think the only kind of crazy thing about that is that it's still a third party and I'm sure in there somewhere in their smart contracts, they'll, they'll be able to set it up where they can like take a cut. Um, Always, you know, that's inevitable. Yeah, you're right. It is. And it's the whole point of crypto. It's peer to peer lending. So while it's exciting that Apple's doing this and it's like, you know, expanding the crypto world, there's also that aspect of, hey, like, aren't we supposed to be doing this with each other and not using these big companies? So I've actually seen quite a few people criticize the entirety of the crypto industry for that, because it's like, oh, yeah, we're going to build a decentralized version of money. And it's going to be great because there will, you know, we won't have to rely on third parties to do all our transactions. And like, here we are, like most of you know, like half the people are too stupid to like set up a, a crypto wallet. And I, I don't mean that like disparagingly, like I've been hacked myself, like it happens to a lot of us, because it is admittedly hard to use crypto natively without some kind of third party. And and then even if you can figure it out, you pay such a large percentage of the crypto, you know, like, let's say you use the Bitcoin or Ethereum networks. I mean, you're going to be paying like a pretty nice uh, amount of your transaction value j- just to the network, like just to make the transaction. So it, it is kind of infeasible in some ways, you know, like, I mean, if I want to convert one of my cryptocurrencies into another, like, let's say. Ethereum to, uh, you know, we'll say like Polygon, so like that can that transaction alone, if I use a decentralized exchange, I mean that can be hundred fifty dollars right there, and it ha- it has been for me in the past before, which, I mean, if you're playing with anything less than like a few grand, like oh wow, ten percent of my uh, value is just is just going to make the transaction happen. It's kind of rough. So I, I hear that criticism. Hopefully things speed up with layer twos, you know, like blockchains like Polygon and, and Avalanche, you know, they are branching out. So hopefully we can have like better transit, like a better all around user experience that is is not just fast and cheap, but also like safe to use. Yeah, I agree. I do think like, you know, certainly there are pros and cons and and absolutely the con that aren't we trying to get away from this guys? Like now we're going to go to Apple, but it's like, I thought we were supposed to get away from this at the same time. I think that there are people out there that are super crypto rich and fiat poor. 
And so for those people, I'm one of them. (laughs) (laughs) I think for those people, like complete degens, it's actually, it almost like it, it does open up new opportunities, right? Like it does create a, a different kind of wealth that did not exist before. And I do in that regard, I think it can be like a pro for someone who is you know, fought their whole life, let's say, to to make it. And then they just went this degen route, got crypto rich. So, you know, there's certainly always like two sides to every coin. But you know what, just like the Elon thing, like, well, we're going to just watch it play out in front of us and see how it goes. And that's all you really can do. And, you know, and the other thing with, you know, I know everyone's like, oh, we should actually start using crypto as as a payment, right? Because for the most part, most of us don't do that. But the thing is, if you're a believer, like let's say you believe in Ethereum, like you're 100%, like this is going to change the planet Earth as we know it, and it's going to make the world a better place. The last thing you want to do is spend your Ethereum. like that, And that's kind of one of the big ironies of crypto. Like if you're a Bitcoin believer, the last thing you want to do is trade your Bitcoin for like a house, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point, Michael, because like how many people do you see out there that have investments in stocks, mutual funds, whatever, spending that money? Like the point is you you hold and that's how you become wealthy. And then let's just say you're retired and then now you want to start dipping into those funds. I think that's a really good point because I think it's more the younger generations that are have become crypto rich, um, not necessarily people that are ready to I don't know, retire unless they've really made a lot of money or they've been one of those hackers that have, you know, exploited hundreds of millions of dollars that can just live scot-free, you know? You know, though, the downside with it, even if you were smart enough to pull off a hack and not get caught, like you can't even really use the money because it's just a matter of time before the IRS is like, hey, how did you buy that Lambo? Mm. it's like in addition to being a hacker you also have to like somehow like funnel the money into like your own life legally somehow like like they're just not going to believe that like oh yeah i just found 10 million dollars worth of crypto <laughs> like they, they, they're not going to buy it unless you go to another country i mean let's be real like i think that's the the quote unquote beauty of crypto today now this could all change a year two years five years from now but like Let's just say you were a hacker and you, you, you know, were able to get hundreds of millions of dollars. I mean, you could just send it to a wallet, go to another country, get what you want to get, buy what you want to buy. And then if you're an American, you can import it. Obviously, you're going to pay like certain fees for importing. But I think the way that crypto stands today, there are certain loopholes um, like insider trading. Oh, this isn't on our thing, but insider training, like with Coinbase, I don't know if you heard about that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, I think that like, it's not illegal for crypto. Now, obviously, at some point, we'll probably see the same exact regulations and, you know, that'll be prevented or whatever. But there are certain loopholes with with uh, crypto that you technically could really get away with it and go on with your life, you know? <laughs> It, you know, there's definitely that possibility. It, a lot of it comes down to like, if you're a smart enough criminal, 
And unfortunately for most criminals, they're, they're not smart enough. So <laughs> it almost never works out. Like um, um, the couple that stole, stole Bitcoin. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. That, did you ever see her TikToks? I saw her, her music video. <laughs> oh my God. They were hilarious. And I was like, wow, that just pure, a real cultural trendsetter. <laughs> yes. Oh my, yeah. I, oh my gosh. Um, what was it? How do they find the... She had emailed her, what was it, her private key or her seed phrase? And it was like in her Gmail account, something like that. Just oh almost, my God. Yeah. I didn't even know that in your Gmail account. That's the first place that, <laughs> like Google's going to look there. Yeah. I know. Boy, right. Um, anyway, we're, we're, we've been on a tangent for a hot minute. Let's, let's get on track. Uh, so we should really talk about how blue chip NFT owners are actually making their investments liquid. So as you guys know, you can buy some pretty expensive JPEGs and right, even though that they're expensive, you can resell them. And that's the beauty of NFTs, right? These are things that will ideally hold or go up in value, you know, so they're either going to stay what they are now. In some cases, they'll go up. In a lot of cases, they're also going to go down. But they've essentially become an entirely new asset class, one that I don't think we've ever truly seen before in human history, at least not on this level. But one of the difficulties of having this new asset class is that they're not quite liquid, right? Like if you have a house, it's very possible to like, you know, if you've got a mortgage, you can refinance, you can sell the house. But with an NFT, I mean, even if you can sell it for millions of dollars, there's still this real difficulty of actually making that sale, finding the right buyer. And, and then even let's like, you know, even if someone does want it, do they want it for that much? And maybe if you wait a little while, maybe they'll want it for a lot more. Like, it's really, really a hard thing to do. But at least with some of the blue chip NFT projects, right? The, the ones that are pretty safe, right? Things like Bored Apes, CryptoPunks, you can actually earn uh, or not earn, but you can gain liquidity by loaning them to certain platforms. And I didn't even know this was a thing because, you know, like I've heard of like, you can loan out your, uh, you know, you can loan your crypto, you can, you know, uh, earn some yield, get some interest back on your crypto if it's just sitting there. But I didn't realize you could do this for NFTs. And that is so crazy. Like there's this one comp- company called NFTFi. And just in Q1 for 2022, they have uh, nearly $100 million in loan volume, which just blows me away. Like I can't believe that is a thing. Yeah, that is a lot of money. I actually did not know that that was a, an NFT thing. I always saw NFTs as you know, assets that you own and you can sell and even get royalties on some of them. I never viewed it as something that could be loaned. And that's really interesting. And there's clearly a massive market out right now. A hundred million dollars is not chip change. Yeah, that, you know, and it is just the beginning, right? Like mm-hmm. in the grand, like if you compare that to something like, you know, even what the the loan volume in DeFi, I mean, it's, I'm sure it's like a fraction of a fraction, but 
the fact that it's moving in the right direction at all is, is really interesting. So, you know, this kind of leads me to like having really just really one big takeaway. And it doesn't matter how crazy volatile and speculative an asset class is, if there is true value and true believers in what an asset class, or you know, not even an asset class, but just anything, right? If there is some element of like, this has some legitimacy to someone, there will be a way that someone somewhere, somehow will make it stable and mainstream and, you know, really build technology and infrastructure around legitimizing it. Who would have thought that you could loan out a picture of a monkey <laughs> and, you know, turn that into some kind of like liquid thing, get some of your money back. And it's uh, like, it is just insane. I mean, if we went back a hundred years in time and, and said, yeah, this is what the future is going to look like. I mean, how do they even react? Right. I agree. That is really crazy. Um, you know, I think one of the things too is like, and I, I think initially when people start in NFTs, they do think it's like, oh, it's just a JPEG, who cares? But people, you know, they don't realize like it is the actual token that holds the value and it's a unique token. You know, being able to loan out quote unquote a monkey, it's yes, but you're also holding that token behind the monkey. So it, it makes sense, but no one in a million years ever would have suspected that. So just seeing how quickly this industry can evolve and pivot. I mean, you got to think, man, we're just a few years into this. Ethereum was launched in, what was it, 2016, 2017? And it's not even a decade later. And we've already got so much innovation going on. I mean, billions of dollars in value. Like, it is unbelievable how powerful and, and fast this industry moves. But you know what would really suck is if your NFT that you could be loaning out and earning interest on got stolen, which is what happened to quite a few people on OpenSea. So uh, this has actually prompted a lawsuit against OpenSea. So we've got three separate people who lost Bored Apes um, to platform exploits. And, you know, there are a lot of people that they have their NFTs stolen and it is genuinely their fault. And OpenSea is not, but th there are quite a few now where OpenSea has just kind of dropped the ball and people have lost a lot of money worth of NFTs uh, because OpenSea just, you know, I, I understand that it's hard, but, you know, if, if you have the biggest NFT marketplace in the world, you, you have to have all your bases covered. So there are these three separate people uh, suing OpenSea. Two of these hacks were from flaws in OpenSea's code. So OpenSea just straight up, they've got bugs in their code and people were able to, you know, basically take advantage of that and steal board apes, you know, through no, through no fault of the user. Now, the third one is a little bit more dicey because uh, there was basically this way that the hacker could send a phishing email to, to this one OpenSea user and what, what they were able to do was make the user think that this was a legit smart contract. So basically the hacker got access to their crypto wallet and, you know, lo and behold, they got their NFTs and sold it to themselves for like a dollar. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a real tragedy. I couldn't imagine having 
owning number one, owning a board ape, and then number two, having it stolen. That would stink, especially because of a platform's fault. The victim claimed that OpenSea knew the bug existed, but they didn't do anything about it. So these, these people had the ability to send out phishing emails that looked legit, that looked like they were from OpenSea, but OpenSea just didn't do anything to stop them. And that's kind of a tragedy. Now, there was another user who, you know, through their own mistake, they lost their NFTs. They lost access to their crypto wallet and someone got in and, you know, basically uh, cleaned them out. And what this guy did was they contacted OpenSea. They went into the Discord. They were asking, you know, the support team. They were opening tickets, really trying to get to OpenSea and let them know that, hey, someone stole my NFTs. Can you like prevent them from listing them and selling them? Because then I definitely will never get this back. Well, OpenSea completely ignored them, which is to an extent to be expected, but they made the really interesting and possibly valid criticism that OpenSea does not really care that much about its users because they're really only prioritizing growth. So it doesn't matter if they have these exploits. It doesn't matter if people get their NFTs stolen. Like this is just not their primary concern. Because at the end of the day, OpenSea does have the power to blacklist specific tokens to, you know, to an extent to, to make things right. You know, it's all, all these tokens are on the Ethereum blockchain. You know, they don't have control over that, but they do have control over what does and what does not get listed on their smart contracts. So is the focus or the priority growth or is it the users? I think that companies, blockchains, platforms, whatever it may be, um, sometimes they prioritize the wrong things. And I do think it's important to listen to the users. I mean, you know, let's, let's be real. Web3 was founded on users, basically developers who wanted to develop things where users could be the owners. And that, you know, there's certain places where it doesn't seem to be the case, you know, like I do remember, you know, this isn't the first time OpenSea's had some issues, but I do remember seeing some people saying like, you need to have more than eight developers on the team for such a large platform. And I was kind of shocked by that comment. I don't know if that's true, but it was a little shocking. Like, wow, only eight developers? What? Yeah. And I'm sure they're rock stars. Like, I mean, I can only imagine, but mm -hmm. you know, one of the things though is like, it's just a matter of time before someone finds another security exploit and, and, and then they don't offer good incentives for the bug bounties. Mm -hmm. I think we talked about this in one of our previous episodes, but you know, there was someone who said that they had a bug and, you know, they were like, Oh yeah, give us all your information, your legal name and all that. And then we'll send you like 20 grand. And like, mm -hmm. that's just, that's just not enough. This is going to do more than $20,000 of damage to your mm -hmm. platform if, the, if it gets out. Well, that's what happened with Wormhole. What was the exploit with that? $360 million and they offered a $10 million bounty for the black hat hacker to come forward. It's like, what? How, does, how do those numbers even make sense? Like, how do you come up with 10 million when they just took, stole like, I can't remember. It was it was somewhere in 300 million. It was a lot. 
Um, I, it may have been four, actually. I don't, I remember it was like an extraordinarily high number. Yeah. And it's like, where do you guys come up with this? There was another one with Coinbase where someone had found, you know, an exploit or something and they offered them, what was it like 250 grand and people were criticizing Coinbase. They were like, give them at least a million. Like this person could take so much more and you want to give them 250 grand. Like that just isn't logical. But, you know, these platforms are getting really big. Like Coinbase is huge. Crypto.com is huge. OpenSea is massive. You know, some of these attitudes almost reflect those of Web2. You know, like, hey, they're making tons of money now. They're huge. So we'll see. <laughs> we'll see where this goes. Um, Hopefully things get better. I, there are just so many examples of like, oh, these allegedly Web3 platforms, and then they do all this sketchy stuff behind the scenes. Yeah. I, you know, it's not to say I don't target that at OpenSea or, or Coinbase directly, but, you know, it really just reminds me of the, the idea of gradual decentralization. And if we are going to reach maximum decentralization at any point in the future, it's going to be a very slow and painful process. Yeah. I don't know. I, I posted this thing on Twitter. This was like last month, maybe, but it was a screenshot of Satoshi's last conversation where the, he was talking to someone, I think it was in 2010. And the guy was like, oh my gosh, like we need these companies to adopt this now. Like this is going to explode. And Satoshi's response was no, like, that's not what we want. We need slow and gradual adoption. Otherwise this is going to backfire. And he was right because we've seen such an explosion and then we've seen the really great side, but we've also seen some really ugly sides as well. Um, yeah. And it's nice when you can like have go through that explosion and it's like, Oh my God, I just 10 X my money, <laughs> but right. there will inevitably be a downside to that. You know, it might come sooner or later. Yeah, especially when there's like a massive amount of people, lots of money involved, like some, you know, sooner or later it does catch up. But I did kind of want to share this last thing and then we can wrap it up. So Sotheby's is going to host an NFT auction for generative art this month. Now, what is so exciting to me about this is that our founders of Live Art X are all from Sotheby's, Christie's, um, and they they are the ones who have had lots and lots of years in the fine art world. Um, you know, with very very expensive, like luxurious pieces. And now uh, Sotheby's is you know stepping into this area, so. It's something that is really exciting and opening a lot of, you know, kind of getting a lot of eyes on NFTs. Um, Sotheby's taking this step. So I think one of the differences is too, like it's generative art and not a bored ape. It's not going to be like a crypto punk, but generative art. So this is a big step into the fine art world that I think the NFT marketplace 
has not seen much of. So, you know, majority of what we've seen in the NFT mark like space has been mostly, you know, like cartoons, like drawings, you know, like pixelated drawings, um, 3D animations. But now we're starting to see this step into generative art, you know, like fine art, um, the, the old world art that NFTs really haven't seen yet. And that's actually something that I love so much about LiveArtX is that we are really bridging these two art worlds together. So we, we have all kinds of artists on our platform, um, but a lot of them tend to be more like fine art, which I think is really amazing. And, you know, we have animated pieces, so it's exciting to see what's going on there. Yeah, I like seeing the, the adoption, right? Like, because there's this entire art world of people who are just not into crypto. And like, depending on how you get to NFTs, whether it's through, you know, it's directly through crypto, you know, like people like me. And then you've got the entire other world of art people that are like, oh, hey, this is new technology that's going to literally change our industry. So I think that there is definitely room for anyone to really find their way to NFTs and, and really the future of art. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so guys, we really hope that you enjoyed this episode with us. We do want to encourage you to join our Discord server and also join us on Twitter. You guys can find all of those links on our website, liveart.xyz. And we will talk to you in the next one. Peace out, guys.